Hello and welcome to the Categorically Romance Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Bree. And today we have joining us Heather from HEA Booktubes. Heather, thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm very impressed at your ability to get categorically out without stumbling over it. <laughs> right. <laughs> had lots of practice. <laughs> well, Heather, tell us a bit about yourself. We all connected through Booktubes. So give us the, the lowdown on uh, the channel HEA Booktubes. Yes. <laughs> Well, I have been a romance reader for about four years now, and I've had my channel for three years, and I like to talk about indie romance mainly. I really enjoy um, diverse romance, steamy romance. I do uh, dabble in most of the subgenres, and I really like discussions about the overall book community and readers, and I am a mom of three, so that's always a fun topic, too. So you said you've been reading romance for four years now. Like, so all three of us here came to romance. We don't we don't we didn't have that experience of like reading them in like middle school or whatever. Tell us your journey. Like, how did you pick up your first one? Well, I have always been a reader. I was primarily a romance or not romance reader. I literally just said that. (laughs) Um, I've been a fantasy reader for most of my life. And I always loved the romance subplots and had a lot of assumptions about romance. Mainly, I think I thought that I would suffer secondhand embarrassment the way I do with rom-com movies or any anything like that. So I thought that I would mostly be cringing at it. Um, and my sister actually was reading a historical romance. And I was like, how do you get through the sex scenes? Like, isn't it extremely awkward? And she was like, well, I kind of just skimmed them. But you know, if the author does a good job with them, then it's not awkward at all. And that kind of planted the idea in my mind that maybe I would like it. And I found BookTube. And then I had my daughter who is five now. So I guess maybe it's closer to being five years of reading romance. And I went through dozens and dozens and dozens of fantasy books in a few months because I had postpartum depression and Mm -hmm. ignored that. And just read like three books a day. So that was that was healthy. Um, So I went through all this fantasy and I was tired of young adult fantasy and I was going into adult and it was so heavy a lot of times because I was just picking up the recommendations that I could find that my library had. And I was like, okay, I don't I don't this is not the escape that I'm looking for right now. Uh, And so I figured, well, maybe I'll try romance. and. then I read three books of that a day for a year or so. <laughs> so. So that's what happened. So you did you pick up the romance because you had discovered book two or was it going back to that like your sister kind of planted it in your mind like you saw your sister reading it like which one right. of them was it? It was a mixture. I don't okay. think I would have picked up romance without both because I, I really did have the idea that I would not enjoy it, that I would feel secondhand embarrassment. But mm-hmm. I was discovering that all I really wanted out of these fancy books was a romance subplot. And I was like, what if? What if yeah. I just went directly to the source? <laughs> <I just> thinking- <laughs> right (laughs) that works so (laughs) how did you discover booktube and 
what made you decide to to jump into all of it yourself and start your own channel? So I discovered BookTube because I read Throne of Glass and A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. I knew nothing about the hype. I knew absolutely nothing about it. I saw the covers of Throne of Glass in my library and read the synopsis and it said, you know, an assassin. And I was like, okay, this is a great cover. This sounds like something I'd really like. Read the first five books or so. If you've ever read the series, I re- I my library had through Air of Fire, and then there was Empire of Storms, which ends on a huge cliffhanger. Well, I <laughs> did not realize that. I thought it was the last book in the series, so I um I I ordered it off of Amazon because I was like, oh my god, I have to know what happens because my library only had the first four books. And I get to the end of the book and I'm like, things are not wrapping up. (laughs) I thought they were going to. And then this huge cliffhanger turns out the next book isn't even out yet. (laughs) Oh, that's the worst. Okay. So that was a little bit of a disaster. But I then read A Core of Thorns and Roses because that was out. And then I was just was like, I just want more of this. I just want more of this. So I was trying to search on Goodreads and things like that. And I got the bright idea to search on YouTube (laughs) to see, I was like, books like Throne of Glass. And lo and behold, there were videos. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of videos. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that is absolutely why I discovered the entire online bookish community is because I want books like Sarah J. Mass. So... (laughs) There you go. You know, just like Stephanie Meyer, we've said this before, like, say what you want about Sarah J. Mass, but she has gotten a lot of new readers into reading and into romance. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I think that, you know, she's one of those authors. And I think this is true of anyone with a large enough audience. They're going to have legitimate criticisms about them. And obviously, people who see the content about their books constantly can get a little tired of the fandom and things like that. But when you are coming into it, not knowing anything, it's very accessible. Yeah, yeah. How do y'all feel like, because I think back to when I discovered BookTube, I discovered it when I, um, I moved to Texas, I didn't know anybody here. And it was the singer Amory, she had posted a link on Twitter. And it was to YouTube. And at the time, I really did not know much about YouTube. I thought it was like another website that people went to to watch like music videos. And so I'm like, what is this? And I went to it and I'm like, oh, she's talking about books. And I mean, I I had always been a reader, but I feel like when I discovered BookTube, it really changed my reading. Did y'all, did y'all feel like that when y'all discovered it? Did it change your reading in any way? For me, absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was mostly a sci-fi reader and I was kind of, I wouldn't say dragged into it, but I was intrigued into it by my partner who was looking for book recommendations and just, you know, was watching BookTube like all the time while they were like making dinner or things like that. And it helped me expand my horizons. It gave me that push to like, to, it it kind of pointed out to me, it's like, hmm, I'm just reading a bunch of like straight white male authors. A lot of them are dead. Uh, and so really gave me the push to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> gave me the push to read more diversely, which I greatly appreciate. Yeah. What about you, Heather? 
definitely for me, I know I, like I said, I grew up reading, but one, my parents really monitored our, our, all of our media consumption. So it had to make it past my mom's approval if I was going to read it. But then also we were poor. And so if it wasn't at the library or it wasn't at a used book sale, we didn't have access to it. Mm -hmm. And I also kind of grew up without the internet. My grandmother told my mother to get high speed internet. So that tells you like, <laughs> how far apart we were. Shout out to grandma. Shout out to grandma, right? <laughs> um, and so I was very used to reading whatever I had access to. And that was very limited. It was limited by what I could physically get my hands on uh, with, you know, the library or a used book sale and, and also my mom approving it. So I, I have always been a fast reader. I could easily read a book a day. And so my reading pace always kind of went ahead of what I actually had access to. So I rarely had more books than I could read. Wow. So yeah, when I yeah. got to BookTube, it was, you know, this whole world of recommendations, whereas I had never had a world of recommendations before. I had certainly read books that my mom or my sister said, hey, I read this one. It was really good. But that was kind of my entire reading world. And so to go online and literally just whatever you wanted was at your fingertips was wild to me. And I do think that that, you know, kind of merged with my postpartum depression. It was like, not only did I want to escape my life and read books constantly, but I also had eBooks for the first time. I had BookTube for the first time. I had this entire you know, realm of possibilities that simply had never been available to me before. So um, now, and I also, before BookTube, I could not have told you who an author was. I usually could not tell you what the book was about an hour after I finished it, not because I didn't enjoy it, but just because I didn't mark it on Goodreads. I didn't write a review. I yes. didn't say anything about it. And I'd always been like that, consuming thousands of books throughout my lifetime. So it was just easy to be like, what was that even about? And then yeah. if someone else had read it and they had context, then it would be like, okay, yes. All right. Yes. I know exactly which book it was, but um, none of that existed for me before BookTube. So certainly I never read diversely before BookTube, but like I said, I really only read what I could physically get my hands on. And that was very limited. Yeah. That all of that, like, I think that is what um, when I think about how it changed me, it's like, <laughs> it's almost like there was your life before it and there's your life after And It's like, it would take me sometimes like two weeks to read an historical fiction novel. And I used to read the hell out of them and love them. Uh, and it was a great experience. But now that the thought of taking two weeks to read a book, I'm like, you know how many other books you could have read in that two weeks? You know, like mm -hmm. my reading pace definitely sped up a lot more. I would, I don't think I would have even known what a, kid, a Kindle was had I not discovered BookTube. And just once upon a time, we would read and you would really do nothing with the fact that you just read a book other than like return it to the library, put it on the shelf. Now it's like you enter this space where it's like cool to talk about it. And I think for our generation, like, I don't know, the kids nowadays probably have no idea what we're talking about, but it used to not be cool to be a reader. <laughs> right. yeah, and now right. it very much is, you know, it's like the thing. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so I think a lot of that definitely just like that confidence. I, I, I really think discovering online book communities was just a, a game changer. And, and so much of what y'all said, just, yeah, like when you discover that, it's like, wow, I can do something with, I can talk about this now. <laughs> right. And like, I was never ashamed to be a reader or anything like that, although it wasn't cool. But like, I, I was the kid in the grocery store, at the park, at the ball game with a book in my hands. Like, do you want to b- talk about books? Cool. If you don't, I don't care either. But at the same time, I think one of the biggest things about BookTube has been specifically getting to talk about the books with people who have read the book and you can talk spoilers and they're interested in those spoilers and then also getting and giving recommendations who to people who have such similar reading tastes to you that is just like an exciting thing to be like hey I read this great book you will love it too yeah yeah so how do you feel like okay one of the things that I'm really excited that we're like doing this and we're like we have you here is like <laughs> kind of capturing like how romance feels right now, right? So like, how does it, doing booktube, right? When you, when you, um, when you start it, I think it's just this excitement of like, okay, I've been watching it for, I know in my experience, I think I watched it for maybe like seven months and I started getting really antsy of like, okay, I want to do this. I want to do this too. Um, and it very much is like to connect with other readers, but then at some point you are getting, Maybe your review was noticed by a publisher or an editor or the author themselves. And now kind of the lines become a little bit blurry. Does that make sense? Does that make sense at all? So like, how does that feel for you right now? And like the the longer you do it, like um, the I guess the balance between, you know, connecting with other readers and like you said, like chatting spoilers and like fanning out about the book, but also like at some point it kind of becomes your small business. Right. Well, for me, it's honestly been very easy. Not that there's never been moments where I was like, hmm, how do I really feel about this book? Do I want to say this? Because I, you know, I don't want to uh, talk trash about books that people specifically recommended and were looking forward to me reading and things like that. But at the same time, I am a reader first. And that has always been very important to me. I watched BookTube for two years before I actually started my channel. And I had wanted to start a channel almost the entire time, but our internet wasn't great and things like that. And I was like, this is going to be such an ordeal, such a hassle that it's not worth it right now. So when I did start my channel, one, my rating system has changed a little bit because I never really rated books before that. Like I said, I wasn't writing reviews, anything like that. Um, But I am a reader and long after BookTube is gone, I will still be a reader. Reading is my hobby. BookTube is just an extension of that. And I love it. I love being a creator. I love talking about books. But if I can only have one, it's going to be reading. And so for me, my reading is my priority, not only in that I'm honest about what I read, but mainly in that I want to read what I want to read. I don't want to read a book for an obligation, for a commitment. I don't want to read a book as a favor to an author. Not that I would never consider it, but I am kind of ruled by my emotions in my reading sense. Not only are my 
reviews often based on emotions, but also how am I feeling about the idea of that book? I DNF, I delete things off my TBR without ever picking them up. I am very comfortable with the idea of "Ah, I'm not really feeling this. This kind of stresses me out. This when I think of picking up this book, I don't feel great about it. I feel like uh, that's a to do. That's something uh, I have to do rather than oh, I cannot wait to dive into that book. So it's kind of based on my emotions. And because of that, I don't do a lot of arcs. I don't really accept anything. I am a mood reader. I want to read what I want to read when I want to read it. And if I want to DNF it in the first three pages, I don't want to have to feel guilt about that. So because of all of that, I feel like my reading is really genuine because if I don't feel like reading it, I don't. I love that because I, I feel I like yeah. I feel like in I feel like especially a couple of years ago I don't know so much now but like at what point it was like reading vlogs of like reading all the books on my neck alley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, that would that stressed things. me out the idea of even attempting something like exactly. That. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, and I've told people on my channel, you're, you're never going to get that. You're never going to get even, even things that I love, like paranormal romance. You're probably not getting a lot of themed vlogs from me because the idea of being locked into reading that one thing for this week or longer is repulsive to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got to shout out one of your videos. You even have a video that is titled not like other booktubers. And it's it's a satirical video, but it's it's great. All the same. (laughs) Yeah, that video was a big hit. I was kind of surprised at how much people really liked it. But yes, and it was born from the fact that other booktubers lovingly make fun of me because I'm just like, I will not be doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, was that always easy for you though? What? Because it it sounds like, I mean, I, I just love that. I just feel like I remember when, you know, on YouTube, the book space was, okay, you did a TBR video at the beginning of the month. You did a wrap up at the end, maybe a book haul halfway through, maybe a book review. And that was, oh, oh and tags. Tags were, we had oh, a tag for everything. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Autumn tag, autumn time, cozy tag, <laughs> Christmas tag, Valentine. Like, we had a tag for everything. <laughs> but right. now, and then I really think it came with like, um, like books and Lala and like all the secret videos and like what's she going to do next. And that really inspired people to get creative. And like you, like you said, like for some creators, it's like, I can't even imagine the thought of like locking myself into this, you know, like I think it, it, it can be a little anxiety inducing maybe, but like, does it, what does it feel like now as a, as a creator, like in that space, is it still, does it feel a little bit more like people are just feeling a little bit more free to do whatever they want? Or is it still like you got to be coming up with the next creative thing? I think it really depends on the creator. I know for me, I only watch what I want to watch. I only make what I want to make. And those things aren't always one for one. There's plenty of videos that I really enjoy from other creators that I have absolutely no interest in making myself. And I think for me, a big part of that is that I know that I will view this as a chore and I will quit and I will be done all because 
I was not <laughs> honest with myself about the fact that that wasn't what I wanted to make. That wasn't what I wanted to do. And I do think that sometimes that can affect your channel growth. You know, sometimes it is a trade-off. It, you will do better if you have more creative videos or maybe even maybe even not more creative videos, maybe even more standard videos or if you make a lot of fandom content, those things can really grow your channel. And that's great. And if that's what you want to do, congratulations. Like I'm rooting for you. But for me, having an extra 20,000 subscribers and hating making content. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Be what I want. And, you know, for me right now, like the $20 a month I make from YouTube is not <laughs> enough to influence anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But I made, you know, a part time income. It, it would be more of a job, but I would not want to do it if it was not more fun than a part-time job. Like I could make better money with for my time doing something else that I dislike or that is a chore. So why make it this? Mm -hmm. I yeah. love so much all Great of this because like I'm very much kind of like you said, like an emotional reader, right? So like I watched, <laughs> you know, romance uh, booktubers who almost like, gamify their reading right and i'm like i could never fucking do that <laughs> right. i could never say okay for this week all i'm reading is hate to love romance because if right. i because it's 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 beautiful to watch them stick with it but i'm like i could never do that right right exactly and some people they love reading off of tbrs that is their mm -hmm. bread and butter but that's just not me so i don't try to make it be me yeah 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 <laughs> How does it feel with 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 TikTok and romance being so huge there? Okay, so I think the thing about TikTok is I think a lot of booktubers dislike it because, you know, they do better than we do in a lot of ways. But that is not the fault of the creator is not even the success of the creator. It has nothing to do with individual book talkers. It's just the algorithm. It shows mm -hmm. you to people who haven't seen you before and they can then find out that you're there which is not a thing that youtube does well <laughs> at all um mm -hmm. but because of that tiktok has grown and book talk has grown and specifically uh people who have not been into reading have suddenly had reading content put in front of them and yeah. that you know has really allowed for a lot of success and i'm happy for them um at the same time the tiktok algorithm not book talkers specifically although certainly some the tiktok algorithm is a little bit racist let's be honest so yeah. the chances <laughs> of diverse books of any sort uh becoming incredibly popular is low to none so that doesn't really work for me. But then the people that I follow, they give great diverse recommendations. Um, and I think that one thing that's really fun about book talk is the ability to do quotes and edits and use the sounds and things like that. So you're advertising a book, not by the book cover, not by the synopsis, none of that. It's, it has this amazing scene. It has this amazing trope. And that works really well on that platform in a way that maybe it wouldn't on everything else. At the same time, I have not had a lot of success reading book talk recommendations. But, you know, I see that a lot. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm sure I'm sure they're there. And sometimes I do see people recommending books that I've loved, but I didn't get 
the recommendation from Book yeah. Talk, and that has not mm-hmm. been quite as successful for me. Uh, we are seeing a lot of people that are discovering their love of reading now. So I, I keep that in mind. Like when I get on YouTube now, I see a lot of people, of creators that are already big because they were lifestyle creators. And now they're doing more bookish content. And I had this moment of like, girl, people have been talking about books on here for years. (laughs) Like this is not fair. But it's, you know, I'm like, well, she's like early 20s. She's just discovered her love of reading. You can see that excitement. So I like I have to remember that. And then I see a lot of book talkers that got big on book talk that come over to YouTube. And I'm like, how do you have over a hundred K a year in? Like, do you know how long it takes typical romance booktubers to grind and get this big years but it's just like I don't know they've recently discovered their love of reading within the last couple of years they got really big on book talk you know people fell in love with them there and I think it's like you fall in love with the creator so you're gonna kind of just follow them wherever so it's just I don't know it's 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 cool to see how it, but I think with book talk, the thing that gets me is like the whole like trying to talk in three minutes about a book that you enjoy <laughs> is kind of hard. And I'm like, for my YouTube girls that are used to like 10, 15, 20 minute videos, does that put pressure on you? Do you feel like it does? Like the shorter content? I feel like you really have to view them as two very separate things. A TikTok mm-hmm. Our book talk should not be an abbreviated version of your YouTube videos. That's just my my kind of thoughts on it because that's not why I'm on TikTok. On TikTok, I'm not scrolling so that I can see shorter YouTube videos. I'm not. When I am watching a YouTube video, I am putting that on play. I am doing my work while I'm listening. I'm making dinner. All of those things. When I'm watching TikTok. I am just scrolling and I want some bookish content, but for me, I don't want it all to be book. And I don't create on TikTok, not because I think that I wouldn't enjoy it. I do think I would enjoy it. But one, I'm never trying to add more to my plate than I can reasonably do. And two, I kind of like not I literally don't check my TikTok notifications. I have hundreds. There are probably a lot of things, you know, people <laughs> replying to my comments, things like that. I don't know. I don't see you. I know nothing I know. about what's happening. My mom and will be like, um, you have a comment you need to respond to. I'm like, whatever, mom. <laughs> Stop lurking on my like, TikTok. I'm just like, you get a like, you get a comment, and I scroll on by, and that's, that's the end of our interaction. I don't know if you replied to me. When I'm over there... Like I said, I think that it is fun to see things with the sounds and edits and things like that that you can't really do on YouTube. But even the the book talkers that I watch that are doing reviews, um, potentially I'm skipping them. But if I'm not, if I'm not um, there, it's it's a different energy, I guess. And I really think that you have to take that into it. And that's just my opinion. That's not entirely correct. There are plenty of people who are successful on book talk, basically with YouTube videos put into their TikToks, but that's not what I am personally watching. And if I were to create for it, that's not at all what I would try to do. Yeah. it's And I always wonder, like, why do one and not the other? You know, especially because now you can have TikToks that are up to like 10 minutes. And I'm like, why don't you just make a YouTube video? <laughs> 
so weird. Right. I don't know. What do you think, Aaron? What are your thoughts? Uh, well, I, I have to say I'm not the biggest TikToker. Like I, I don't really watch it except for stuff that people send me because I am so good at avoiding the things that I should be doing during the day without TikTok <laughs> that, frankly, it, it frightens me. Like so, <laughs> so I, I don't dive into it too much. I've made a few videos that uh, or, or TikToks. Uh, I don't know if it's okay to call them videos, but uh, that that have done okay, I guess. And and like Heather, like there's a bunch of notifications that come up, but I'm not really <laughs> sure like how to even sort through them. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know you had direct message on there. Oh yeah, no no shade on on TikTok or TikTokers or anything like that. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's just a whole different thing. Like like exactly like Heather was saying that when someone's watching TikTok, that's what they're doing, and you know they're scrolling through. They're not doing anything else. They're uh, they might not even be looking for book recommendations or recommendations Mm -hmm. on anything. Usually, it's just to like get a laugh or something like that. (laughs) But yeah, the, the longer videos, I think that's probably just to compete with YouTube in in that fashion. So mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that's just, you know, trying to keep people on the app and not go anywhere else. That's my oh, theory. Yeah. yeah, totally. Right. Hmm. I, I think that they'll eventually do away with it simply because I don't see it working well. Because no one's on TikTok to watch a 10 minute video. You're just right. not. Even if yeah. you're interested in that's not why you're on that. When I was doing YouTube, you know, you can, you have those like analytics or whatever, and it kind of shows you what your viewers want. And like, um, my, it's like, you would feel like I'd fill the film a vlog. It'd be like 20 minutes long. And I'd be like, shit, I got to edit this down to like 10 minutes. Cause <laughs> my analytics show that like, Hey, 15 minutes or more people are dropping off. But I'm like, are you serious? Cause I can watch a vlog that's like 30 minutes long and I'm good. So does it feel like right now as a creator, do you feel pressure to like shorten it up or no? Are you just like, I'm going to do me like my viewers are going to watch whatever I put out. My only pressure to shorten things up is my phone storage space. Sometimes I'm just like, are you going to save? <laughs> I'm worried about you. That's really it. As far as people watching, no. I do kind of try to be like, alrighty, we've been talking about seven minutes for this blog update. Like, why? They don't care about this. But for me, I think I just try to... When I'm editing, I try to make sure that each part of the video is interesting in some way. So if I'm like, you know, I'm kind of bored editing it, I'll just cut that whole part out. Um, But that's really it. I don't feel pressure to do it for the analytics or for the audience because figure either you're going to watch it and like it or you're not. And sometimes I think it's boring because... I already have these thoughts. I already know this thing. This is, you know, something I've already spent time with. But a lot of times for the viewer, it's new to them. They don't know anything about my life. They don't know about this reading experience with this book. They don't know about this hot take. So sometimes I try to remind myself to um, like give yourself some grace. The people that are here are here because they want to watch you. So yeah, just let it be. They're here for you. Yeah. And then you, you always have like somebody that's new too. So well, right. what are you as both a creator and, you know, reader first, what kind of videos are you enjoying right now? Oh, so right now I have, things have changed for me. <laughs> okay. um, I used to watch a ton of recommendation videos and then mm-hmm. Romance Booktube kind of decided that 
their only content was recommendation videos. And I was like, eh. <laughs> like I'm, a, I'm a little bored over here, actually. Especially yeah, guys, I'm a little burnt out on this. I'm a little burnt out. <laughs> well, I'm like, you can't have the same books in every single video. It's very true. Yeah, 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 totally. But so I kind of stopped watching that. I do watch the occasional one. But I really enjoy a lot of, like I said, community discussions. I like watching the monthly resets. I like seeing people's TBRs and wrap-ups. That'll never go away. But I think the things that I'm most likely to click on are discussions, honestly. Which, you know, it's its own kind of subgenre in BookTube. But um, I am watching... Not as much booktube as I used to, um, but I try to. I try not to get burnt out on that either. So I try to only watch things that I'm genuinely interested in. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I know. Like I, I go through phases. Like I'll go months without watching anything bookish. Like I don't know. The lifestyle girlies will just be calling my name. Like let me see your monthly reset or <laughs> your, you know, right. New Year's new me vlog or whatever. And then I'll just right. get that inkling and I'm like, well, what? let me see what people are talking about in the bookish world. And I do feel like, especially during the pandemic, when people like romance was finally like, I don't know, getting the attention it deserved because everybody wanted a piece of joy. You did right. see just recommendation after recommendation video. And I was like, how long is this going to last, guys? Right. <laughs> exactly. I know. I... I basically built my channel on it with the idea that, um, you know, my the books I was talking about weren't books that I was seeing be talked about constantly. You said in the beginning that you really like um, indie published romance. Can you talk about that and like how, why you go that direction and, you know, what, uh, what any gripes, I guess, or, or just uh, reasons that you don't, don't tend to gravitate towards traditionally published romance. Sure. I oh, yeah, the juice. For a long, <laughs> long time. So <laughs> give us the juice. Um, all right. So when I first started reading romance, I was obviously reading traditionally published romance and I got so annoyed. Okay. <laughs> so annoyed at the formula. And I felt like all these couples were breaking up at the 70% mark for no reason other than that's what they were supposed to do. That's what you do in a romance book. You have this build up to the 40-50% mark. Now we're finally getting together. We're together for a tiny bit. We break up for no reason, really. Maybe it would have just been a fight. Maybe you got kidnapped, depending on the subgenre. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um you know, and it was always like, someone's out to get her, right? You know, someone's out to get her. She knows someone's out to get her. And then she has a fight with the hero. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to leave the house without my phone, even though I'm supposed to be staying in the house with the bodyguard and stuff. Like, I'm just, I'm, I need a break. And then, of course, she gets kidnapped. And I was like, okay, are we doing this every single time? So... <laughs> I just, I was frustrated by how formulaic I felt it was because I could tell exactly what was going to happen based on the percentage of the book that I was in. So I was getting kind of over that. And then I discovered indie books and not that they don't always have a formula, but there's one 
Okay, I have I have so many thoughts. Number one, uh, an indie author can publish whatever they want, especially in ebooks. So you can have a twenty page, forty page, hundred page, hundred and fifty page novella, no problem. For a traditionally published book, that's not worth anything. And with indie, not only do you not have to make it past a committee of white women, which is publishing, right? So you're able to have diversity and you're able to have diversity in a way that is not watered down for the masses, whether that is a cultural representation or an ethnic representation or queer or what have you, whatever it is, you can write to people who one, want that content. They want that representation. And two, who already know what you're talking about a lot of the time. So you don't have to spend all of this time explaining, well, actually, it's okay to. It can be a minotaur if you want it to be. (laughs) Right. And also, it's just like, if you are a Black author writing Black characters for a Black reader, there are a lot of things you don't have to explain to white people who have never interacted with Black people before right, because yeah. your publisher makes you do that. Like the, That's just the reality, at least, of the books that I was picking up that were traditionally published. Even if they had representation, it was explained and watered down and made just so it wasn't offensive to anyone who might not really like people like that and I was kind of you know really bothered by that and turned off by that um and then with indie authors also obviously you can have more explicit content a lot of times which I appreciated because I like more than one steamy scene in the majority of my romances most of my romances are pretty steamy because that's just what I like to read I think it makes sense for the couple if it if it does make sense for the couple then I'd like to see it happen i'd like for them to you know progress however they want at whatever percentage of the book they want so indie authors they have this freedom and a lot of them understand the fact that their readers are people who are not the same target audience as traditionally published romance usually there are plenty of people who read a mixture of both but a lot of times it's one or the other so you are writing for people who want what you want to write and you have the freedom to do so. And because of that, you can read, you know, completely bonkers things. You can read things that are really deep. You can have all this great representation. You can have couples who don't break up just because of the percentage of the book. There might be a conflict, but that doesn't have to be a breakup because not every couple is breaking up for two weeks just because they had a fight at the 80% mark. That's just not realistic. So when I did dive into indie books, it was so refreshing to me. And even as my taste has changed and how, and as you know, I've read different authors and fallen in love with different authors, that has kind of remained a constant that whatever I'm in the mood for, whatever I'm looking for, indie authors are doing it and they're doing it well. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Let's, okay. Uh, expanding on that, let's talk formula for a bit here. So you talk about the third act breakup, you know, that's that's something the publishing industry would would say, well, that has to be there because there has to be a moment where the reader thinks that the couple is not going to have a happy ending. Uh, Do you think that the readership has changed to the point where I've heard plenty of readers say, you know what, I read romance because it makes me happy and I want to be happy and I don't want to have to read a a breakup over something, you know, trivial. Uh, Do Mm -hmm. you think the readership wants 
books that have little to no conflict? And, and do you think there's a place for that? I think that it's pretty split. I definitely think that there is a place for it. I think that you have some romance readers who really want the angst. They want the pining. They want a romance where the couple wants to be together. They are making progress towards being together, but they can't. And that is the part that they are interested in, is the couple wanting to be a couple. Then you have other romance readers, myself included, who want to read about two or more people meeting each other, finding each other, making progress through conversation and interaction with each other. And you watch that progress build and then you watch them work on things as a couple, whether that is something as trivial as, you know, we have moved in together. Can you can you not do that thing? (laughs) That thing that you're doing, can you not do that? Or if it is something like saving the world, or if it is something like, you know, protecting the people that they love from violence because of the subgenre. A lot of us want to see a couple doing that because for me, I know that I love seeing the interactions between a couple. I am there for the conversation, the banter, the dialogue, their character growth, their the way that they get to know each other. So yes, there was that instant attraction. They saw each other and they were like, you know, maybe. Um, I went to watch them be like, no, you are my person and I would do anything for you. And I believe that because I've watched you build that together. And I believe that you would do anything for each other because you face some things in this book and you that hasn't driven you apart. I think part of what really bothers me about the uh, required third act breakup, not one, because there are some authors who do it well and makes sense for that couple, for their communication style, where they were at on their relationship journey, all of that. It can make sense for some people. But when it is just there because it is a requirement, I really dislike the idea that I'm supposed to believe in this couple loving each other so much that they spend the rest of their life together. But three pages ago, <laughs> they even handle the fact that he accidentally got a call from his ex-girlfriend. You know, yeah. something that is a part of life that yeah maybe you didn't understand it maybe your immediate emotional reaction was oh I do not like that but I'm supposed to believe that you can be together when you didn't have the maturity to have a literal conversation about it that's that's I think the thing that annoys me the most I want to watch that couple have a conversation I want them to work through that maybe that does mean that they don't talk for a couple of hours but my husband is not leaving me for two weeks every time we have a fight (laughs) that's just not how couples work (laughs) yeah I'm in it because I want to believe that these two people are going to stay together and I think like you said like the the crafting of it I think is changing and I think it has to change because that sometimes the the reason behind the dark moment is just stupid and you're like I don't feel like these people would stay together for the rest of their lives and I think for the longest time that the HEA was just seeing the couple get together at the end 
And it's like, I think right. now, especially as time has evolved, readers are like, no, we want, I think there's a little piece of hope in it. You want to believe that these, these two or three, however many people would stand the test of time. They're going to stand the trials and tribulations of being in a relationship and just right. seeing the, the kiss at the end or whatever just doesn't do it for us anymore. Right. And especially if there was like something so minute that caused this right. big breakup like 10 pages ago. It's like, eh, it's not so believable anymore. Right. And especially if you are going to have, uh, you know, steamy scenes early in your book, whatever, like, okay, you've made them a couple. Now they need to handle things like a couple. And I don't have a problem with there being some sort of third act conflict. But I just think having that conflict result in a breakup for no reason is dumb. And I think part of it is the online bookish space. We as readers are able to give feedback in a way that we never were before. Not only to publishers, but also to indie authors. Like my library doesn't have indie authors. I was never going to find them before the online bookish community was known to me. They weren't even something that I could ever have considered as a possibility. But that's what I read. And honestly, if I only read traditionally published romance, and if I only was reading these formulaic romances, I would not have read romance as predominantly as I have, because I would be annoyed by it. And I would pick it up sometimes, but I would not be able to read, you know, 20 plus books of it a month for years at a time. That, that makes wouldn't. so much sense. Like, if you would have stuck to just trad publishing, you would not be as devoted, I think, of as, as a romance reader as you are. That makes a lot of sense. We asked you here today to share some recommendations. So what kind of what kind of books are you recommending us today? Uh, well, I have a list of paranormal romances. So oh my God, I didn't know. <laughs> Love it. I didn't know I how many to have, so I have a few. Okay. <laughs> it's your show, like we said. Okay. Okay. Tell us your, your paranormal journey and then get into the wrecks. Okay. So like I said, I was a fantasy reader. So when I did move into romance, I did not think that I could ever read contemporary romance. And again, that was just an assumption that I had that proved to not be true. But I really thought I needed that fantastical element. And so one of the first subgenres that I did pick up was paranormal romance and i started just you know on goodreads so it was the most popular of all time basically <laughs> were the only ones that i was seeing on the list but um you know i dnf'd quite a few of them but <laughs> but that led me to uh elona andrews specifically who i think is the top of the pyramid of paranormal romance they are a husband wife author team he was in the military and you can really tell that in their action scenes and the way that their characters interact because they do have a lot of either warriors or ex-military type characters um and then they also have a strong romance subplot they are not they're a very interesting mix of genres i feel because they write paranormal urban fantasy some of their series are more sci-fi fantasy but it's romance it's not completely driven by the relationship it's not steamy there you might have one scene a book you might have 
one scene in book four, you know, things like that. So it's not steamy and it's not as focused on the couple as I tend to prefer, but that doesn't matter because mm -hmm. every aspect of their books is done to the best standard. Their fan family every single time is perfection. Their characters, the way that their relationships develop, the way that they are able to paint a character for you with just a few lines. You've never met them before, but now you have this perception of them. And also, like I said, their action scenes, but their paranormal is done in such an interesting way. They have things about it that you've never heard of before. So for instance, the Kate Daniel series, you have a man, Curran, who is the Lord of the Shifters. He is the most powerful shifter. So obviously shifter is very common paranormal creature, but they act differently. There are different things with their lore, with their personification that are different. Then our main character is Kate Daniels. She is a mercenary. She appears to be human, but maybe is hiding quite a few things about herself. And it's not that, you know, typical oh she's the long lost fae princess and she does she never knew she has magic but now she does like that's not what it is but it is done so well and that she was always powerful she always knew who she was she always knew her power all of those things but the series is a 10 book series and you have this one main couple through this whole 10 books. Now you see them go from meeting to dating to, you know, on and on. And the last few books, they're married. So it's not like you have to wait till book 10 for an HEA. But at the same time, not only do you see their progress as a couple, not only do you see the progress of them and their found family relationship. But you also have a micro plot in every single book that gets handled. And then you have this overall plot and you really are seeing like a progression in this series. So even, even though it's 10 books, it doesn't feel like, well, you should have gone together four books ago, but you didn't because it's a 10 book series. Mm -hmm. I hope that right. makes sense. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love, love all of what you're saying about that series. And the one thing that's really cool about it also is the diversity of the mythology and the magic. Because the Kate Daniels world is based in Atlanta after magic came back to the world. So you had these thousand years or so of tech and you are now dealing with magic again like it was back thousands of years ago. And you do have some historical things like that. But the magic is shaped by the beliefs of a people. So for instance, if you have a large Korean population in this part of town, you might have some Korean mythological creatures and or magics manifesting there because they feed on the belief of the people. And because of that, you get all these different interactions with either magic users or mythological creatures, maybe the bad guy, maybe an unlikely ally, but you're seeing this mythology from all these different places around the world in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's fascinating. Uh, the next one is a trope that I don't like, <laughs> but it's, it's the Tyrant Alpha's Rejected Mate by Kate C. Wells. And I am a Kate C. Wells girly. I am obsessed with Kate C. Wells. I've read everything that she's ever written at this point. But this was my second book, I want to say, by her. And I do not like Rejected Mate. I feel like I 
for me, I'm like, the whole point of a faded mate is that this person has your best interests at heart. And you don't even have to question that. You have this faded mate connection. But um, the way that she does it always works for me. I'm always stressed out at the beginning of her book. And then I'm always just like, oh, I love you guys by the end of it. <laughs> but um, this one, we have a pack that had a tyrannical alpha. And he, you know, abused a lot of people. He did a lot of bad things. And he's dead. And his son is now the alpha. And while things have improved, things are still very much behind the times. So we have a werewolf pack in modern day, but like the unwed female wolves are not allowed to have a cell phone, things like that. So, and she is kind of the lowest of the low. She's an unwed wolf. She also has a leg injury that, you know, has made it where she is disabled. And while she can walk, she is always in pain. And, you know, she, she serves in the kitchens and things like that. But she also is a latent wolf shifter, which means that she has never shifted into her wolf. Well, she's she's doing her serving, you know, it's mealtime, and she feels this mate connection with the alpha. And she shifts, she challenges the female that's touching him, she loses badly, and gets rejected and embarrassed in front of the whole pack when the alpha is like, and he's not even being vicious. He's just like, if you were my mate, don't you think I would know? <laughs> you're not my mate. I don't know what you're doing, but this is not a thing. So she leaves. She's in agony. And the witch is like, hmm, well, I could take the mating uh, tie out of you so you're no longer suffering, um, but I'm going to leave his alone. <laughs> So then he, um, he knows she's not his mate, but his wolf won't let him leave her alone. And he's just a little bit confused about it. And he doesn't know what's going on. And there's, you know, justifications in the story. We find out on things, but also turns out she's been leading the single woman in a contraband honey business and they have like all this trading that they do and they have a car that they steal from the pack all the time all these things that are happening right under his nose that he has no idea about and you find that he's he's doing the best that he can but maybe he needs someone to be like um you're an idiot this is this is not what we're doing here. And they really do make an amazing couple. And like I said, I cannot stand the rejected mate trope. But um, the fourth book comes out this month and I'll be reading it right away. So I love it. Even if you haven't read a paranormal book or series, just when you hear a friend talk about it and you're like, oh, man, that sounds so good. I can't wait. Just just knowing like all the fun that kind of awaits you, all the like nerdy mythology and lore and uh, I, yes. paranormal does found family just so well. I think yes. I, I really think that's where I fell in love with found family is like reading paranormal series. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Those, those yeah. sound it just became so important to me and I think I wouldn't appreciate it had it not been paranormal. So oh, that sounds so good. All right. The next one is One Bite, One Bite by Drea Anderson. This is an author who writes black paranormal romance. So all of her main characters are black and I've read mostly witch and shifter books from her, but this one is by far my favorite. It's about 120 pages. So it's not particularly long, but you have black vampires it's very steamy well I should say he's a black vampire she is a magic user and it's based in the United States but 
the country was divided by humans and by supernaturals and the supernaturals are predominantly black i believe it seems like i know there wasn't a lot of setup in the book because it's pretty short but it specifically talked about how it was mostly minorities and people who were oppressed were given these paranormal powers basically and it's been the country has been divided by those who have paranormal powers and those who do not and you have, of course, some political intrigue and people trying to take them down. But you have a new king of the vampires and uh, we have a romance with his captain of the guard, basically. And this uh, fire mage who is getting a divorce from her husband and is uh, going out to celebrate and maybe <laughs> maybe running into some things she didn't think she would. Paranormal, you know, it, it wasn't really the most diverse. So... No. hearing right. that there are you know obviously we know there are titles out there but like you just sometimes you need that that friend that's like hey here it is here's one for you right. so thank you for that okay and <laughs> anderson writes very low conflict it's pretty insta love but it's very low conflict there's not a third act breakup your couple they might have some sort of argument and usually it's immediately like no, I'm taking care of you. So I really like that. It's a great feel good author for me because it's a safe read every time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like the state of paranormal romance is now? Because we are seeing it. I've, I'm speaking more traditional publishing, but like for what do you feel like it is right now? I feel like in trad publishing, you're getting like witches. I feel like it's mostly witches. Um, maybe every now and again, you'll see like a demon, but it's very um, like cartoon. I hate, I hate cartoon. Illustrated cover. Um, and it feels kind of like it's pitched as rom-com-ish. Um, mm -hmm. What do you feel like the state of it is right now? Well, I think all that is completely accurate. I do think that indie romance has skewed more towards monster romance. And that's a big thing right now, like a huge thing right now. But I think that I know for me, I tend to read a lot of queer paranormal and um, I really like the things that they're doing in that space not only with the idea of queerness and monsters and paranormal and uh, creatures who either, obviously, why would they care about queerness? Or they are, um, you know, struggling with being accepted for other reasons, um, like wings and fangs and things like that. But I think that it varies quite a bit. I think it varies quite a bit based on the circle that you're in. And for me, I am all about the indie diverse paranormal romance. And so because of that, um, I I think that a lot of it has also kind of moved towards cozy. So like with Nilona Andrews, they are, I think, the best of what was traditionally paranormal romance, where you have these huge long series and these macro plots, and you're you know reading twenty books to get to all of these different villains finally getting what they should, and everything's very in depth world building and all of that. And um, I think that era has kind of passed in a lot of ways, and I think you're more focused on coziness right now coziness mm -hmm. or monster one or the other or a mixture <laughs> of the two or a mixture of the two right which i don't think people would expect 
right. I don't think people but expect it, the monsters like, to be cozy. No, I don't think so either. Uh, but the but audience definitely loves it. Right. I will say if you want cozy, queer, single parent a lot of times, demon romance, I recommend Chase Verity, specifically the demon next door. You have a single demon dad and a demon child that's not actually his child, but you know, they're on earth because the demon child wanted to be a child on earth. And not everyone in this world can see demons, but then his next door neighbor and her son can. And it is adorable, feel good sweetness. Oh, I love that. <laughs> demons get a bad rep. Okay. They do. They're like, yeah. <laughs> they're supposed to be they're really bad. <laughs> in this series, like they're all just they're The first one is about a demon house husband, basically. He makes cinnamon rolls and he cleans. And- I love that. It's just cute. <laughs> well, I um, want to ask you like some some like rapid fire romance questions. So do you have any you want to like rattle off the the all of the books you recommend? I'm going to like make sure we leave in the show notes. Do you want to quickly re- sure. recommend those? Um, if you want queer monster romance, I highly recommend Avita Vice. I would specifically recommend starting with Feed, which is a prequel novella. And it has a full length book that is yours insatiably. It's about a succubus and a non-binary death hawk moth fairy. I don't know if that's the right moth, but that's pretty much it. They work together at a museum, so it's rivals to lovers. And then Sacrifice by Katie Robert is Bloodline Vampires. This is a true polyamorous why choose vampire romance is a trilogy following the same group. And she is half vampire, so she is not as powerful. And she gets taken to this vampire who is being starved and imprisoned as bait, basically. And they end up having a romance not only with him, but also his two vampire friends that he's had things with for the last few hundred years. Then um, Solace is by Gail, Gail Carringer is a steampunk steampunk Victorian, um, not as steamy paranormal romance with a unique paranormal creature that she basically neutralizes other paranormal powers. And because of that, they're, they have been hunted to extinction and she's the only one that she knows of, but she is also a Victorian lady. I will say that she is an Italian and there is a lot of talk about her being too dark for what is um, not popular, but the thing in Victorian England. So Mm -hmm. if you don't want to read about that, I would caution on that one, but that's, that's kind of the only content warning for it. And then lastly, I would say Taste by Nikki Clark. This is another black romance paranormal. And this is another specific vampire short because that's that's my thing, apparently. Okay, okay. Are you ready for these? Like, just say whatever comes to mind. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. All right. First, tell us your fave and least favorite tropes. My favorite trope is probably Faded Mates and or Stolen from the Wedding. I have a thing oh. for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. love Stolen uh, from a Wedding, Erin. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, and then least favorite, either friends to lovers or I would even say brother's best friend. It deeply annoys me that the entire conflict of that relationship is that the brother doesn't want the adult main character to be with his adult best friend who's supposedly a good enough person that you're best friends with them but don't trust my sister right (laughs) 
Every now and again, we get that sprinkle of like, oh, we always thought you guys would be perfect together. And it's like, really? Right. (laughs) Right. Okay. Tell us one of your most read authors and a book that everybody should pick up by him. My most read author is Chris Nashley. I've read, I think, close to 60 books by her. And her books are long, like 400 plus pages for all of them. But my favorite is The Hookup. It is a one night stand. She wakes up first page morning after and they're in their 30s. And he's like, I can't do this. And she was like, okay, I, I thought it was a one night stand. But all right. Turns out he had a longtime girlfriend that left him and everyone in the town knows he's never going to find love again. Well, then he sees her at a restaurant and he's like, never mind. I'm over it. I'm good. (laughs) And they're just together for the rest of the book. And you get to see his brother and her sister and kind of the beginning of them having a relationship maybe in the next book. There's a wonderful grandmother character found family aspect. It's just small town, steamy, sweet. And you really do get to see a couple being a couple through the different progressions of their relationship. Mm -hmm. Do you have a bookish buzzword? Like, I'm sure there are there are multiple, but like, give us <laughs> one that it's like, up. Oh, I'm I'm downloading it. Okay, this I love orcs, but I DNF almost every book I pick up. <laughs> oh no! Just like I want it to work, and then I'm always like, no, not you. You're not the one. <laughs> okay, so orc is the buzzword. <laughs> But it just doesn't work. Okay, so we're going to be very hopeful. You're going to check in like at the end of the year, we're going to be like, okay, Heather, come back and tell us, did you have an orc romance that worked? (laughs) I have exactly one and it's Green Eyed Monster by Elsie Winters, but he's like a cinnamon roll nerd. So it wasn't even really what I was thinking. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Tell us the last book you one clicked. Oh, okay. I have it right here. It was The Lord of Stariel, which is Stariel number one by A.J. Lancaster. It is, I was recommended it actually by the author of Green Eyed Monster that I just said. She said it was like downtown Abbey, but with magic. And that was really accurate. It's a historical fantasy romance. You have them on this country estate and they're trying to, you know, work things out. And there's, you know, magic and dragons and elves, but also a lot of things with the running of an estate. And there is no steam in this first book, but there is some in the coming books. And this couple has four books about them. So I just finished that this morning. I downloaded it a couple days ago and read it, which is rare for me. Um, And yeah, I loved it. It Is that what you were doing up at five o'clock in the morning was finishing this book? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had to get then anyways, but then yes, that's what I was doing. Was Love it. The life, the life of a mom romance reader. We're going to get it in. <laughs> we can't. Right. Okay. Shout out a new to you author that you're rooting for. Ooh. Um, okay. Claire Kent is my newest obsession, to be perfectly honest. I am reading everything she's ever written. Her There's something addictive about her writing. I started with her sci-fi, went into her dystopian, but I'm reading everything that she writes and I love all of it. I love that. What was the last or one of the last like unforgettable romance meet cutes that you read? Mm. Oh, that is difficult because did I write anything down? No. Um, <laughs> let's see. The 
The most recent one that I can think of, I guess, is Haven by Claire Kent. And you don't even really see their meet cute, but they their first interaction, he's just like, he's like, that that boy has a crush on you. And she's like, no. And they are in a dystopian world and you know they're trying to keep everyone safe and they've been sleeping together and he adores the ground that she walks on and she has no idea Love none it. whatsoever and um it's just it's so sweet <laughs> okay okay last one last one tell us how a book that you you you're you're writing a book and you give it five stars what what is like a five star read for heather a five-star read is I think about that book and I don't think of any negatives associated with it. I'm not mm-hmm. like, it's great, but it's okay. just, it's great. I loved it. I had a wonderful time. It was, I ha- from start to finish, there's nothing that I was like, oh, I wish we didn't do this. Oh, like, why can't, it's just you, you did what you were trying to do. And I enjoyed the way that you did the story. I'm happy with what I got. Great. Five stars. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Tell everybody where they should be keeping up with you online. Um, H-E-A Booktubes on YouTube, Instagram. You can follow Twitter if you want to see all the political things that I heart. That's basically basically my contribution over there. But really just YouTube and Instagram are where I create bookish content. Well, thank you so much. This was so fun. Listeners, we're going to have links to where you can keep up with Heather in the show notes and links to all the books and series that she's recommended. And you'll have to come back. I'd love to. Come up with another list, Heather, and come back. I mean, I've got them. You know I've got them. (laughs) (laughs) 